Hello, and welcome to episode 149 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. As usual, I want to start by offering a warm welcome to Hans Ulrich Art, The Modern Manager community. And thank you to everyone who is a member. If you are not yet, I invite you to come check it out. Members get access to our private Slack group where you can ask questions and share your advice and experience with other managers, plus episode guides, guest bonuses, and even the opportunity to join our twice-monthly live Q&A calls. And if you work for a nonprofit or government agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. So head on over to themodernmanager.com slash join to learn more. Now, today's guest is Seth Linden. Seth is the founder and principal of Gather Consulting, where he advises philanthropists, foundations, and nonprofits at the intersection of education, leadership, and community. He has a teaching credential and a bartending credential, both of which come in handy while building community. Seth and I talk about how to design and lead a team gathering or retreat. As we enter spring here in the United States, and it just may be possible to start to gather in person again, it's a good time to consider bringing your team together to reconnect. And if you can't do it in person, whether due to COVID or other geography issues, don't worry. We have got you covered as we will talk about virtual retreats or gatherings as well. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host. Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Seth. I'm really excited to talk about this. It's a new topic for the show. But first, I want to give a shout out to Rivka, who helps me with my blog and social media, and who is your neighbor because she's the one who connected us. Hi, Rivka. (laughs) Thank you. Great to be here. All right. So a lot of people are hoping that the end of the pandemic is near and our need for social distancing can start to go away. And we're all really excited to be back together with our colleagues in person, even if that doesn't mean that we're going to be fully back in the office. Maybe we continue with some flexible work stuff, but at least we get to be with people again. And I remember the old days where teams would go off site for a day or two and do team building or strategy work and have these kind of intense set of hours together to just focus on the work without distractions of the office or sometimes distractions of even home life. So for managers and, and leaders who are now thinking about what is the role and how do we start to do these offsites or retreats again? And I'm curious, you know, as we start to be together in person, or you know, if you have to do this virtually because your team is geographically dispersed or because you have people who are still high risk, for whatever reason, if we're thinking about how do we come back together in these ways through kind of intense time whether that's, again, virtually or in person. How do we start to do that? It's a big question. How do we start to do that as, as managers who are trying to bring ourselves back together? And what do you see as the, the importance of having that kind of time together in that way? Yeah, great question. Thanks, Mimi. I think the first thing that I think about when designing retreats or gatherings is what's the purpose? And I'm influenced a lot by Priya Parker and her book, The Art of Gathering. And she starts everything with that question, like, why are we here? And I think whether this is a pandemic retreat or an in-person retreat, that question should be paramount to any manager or leader or leaders convening uh, folks. 
So I'd say start with a purpose for one, just a couple other influencers that help kind of frame why we get together is Casper Terkyle and his book, The Power of Ritual. I think another reason, uh, another powerful way that we come together is through through ritual work. So he talks a lot about, it doesn't matter the what, but just the, the continuity and the repetition of certain work. And so building certain muscles, and that could be around your monthly meetings, your quarterly retreats, your an, annual offsite. I think it's really important and that builds community and it builds culture and it builds trust in the people you're working with. And finally, a more recent influencer is Adrienne Marie Brown and her book, Emergent Strategy. And the thesis in my mind from her book is that everything is all about critical connections. It's less important that the leaders, the organizations, those are important, but what's more important are the connections between leaders and the connections between individuals. And I think retreats, gatherings, convenings are a perfect way or perfect opportunity to build those critical connections, to strengthen relationships, because the work that everyone does will, will move at the speed of trust and having regular comings together that are planned intentionally with a purpose are a great way to build that trust, build those relationships and build community within your organization. So that's a few tidbits on, on influencers. I can say just a minute about, about why retreats. I think the why is, like I said, to, to build community, to deepen relationships. We spend so much of our working day doing the work, and it seems to be an afterthought about the relationships that we build amongst each other in our workspace with other organizations and with other leaders. And so I think having retreats, having offsites are a great way to put the the daily tasks behind and work on each other as people and professionals and to kind of lean into what does it look like to build relationships and to build trust with those around you. So I appreciate the the influencers and I, I love the art of gathering in part because I was quoted in it. So that was really exciting <laughs> to get to be interviewed by Priya. But putting that aside, this idea of kind of the retreat or the offsite having a strong focus on relationships. I'm a little bit curious about this because I've been to retreats that are like 100% team building. I've been to retreats that are 100% like strategic planning or, you know, some big project and it's like, a, you know, heads down, we're going to like power through this and come out with some big product at the end and then kind of everything in between. Do you have a sense that there's a, a better way or a right balance between investing in the human relationship connection side and doing work together? Totally. I'll give a shout out to a colleague, Phil Lee, who runs the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation in New York. And he taught me a great model of these kind of, of, of planning retreats. And the shorthand is a third of the time is ideally formal structured learning time. A third of the time is more informal learning, and then a third of the time is unstructured and you know open to, to just networking and that building of relationships. And so I think in my experience earlier on in my career, I would spend more, more of the retreats I, I went to had focused more on the former, right? The, the, the projects and the structured time. And the, in my experience, I come away much more energized much more engaged with retreats that have, again, more of the informal learning and more of the unstructured time. And 
I would say just, and, and one way to do that, that I, I learned again from, from planning a retreat a couple of years ago in New York was how to create the agenda. The agenda should not be created by, by those running it or by, by the facilitators. It should be a co- ideally a, as much of a co-creative process as possible. And by that, I mean, so be inclusive in who you're inviting, but also in what they want to learn. Be, be curious and intentional about asking the folks there, what do they want to get out of the retreat? Again, I think a lot of wellness activities and time for folks to just, you know, be in their bodies, move their bodies instead of sitting, whether you're sitting in front of a computer or sitting in a conference room, we need to have more embodied movement in our retreats. And the last thing I would just say just briefly around, around this is we've learned that the experts are already in the room, that there's so much, there's a wealth of knowledge and experience with if it's a board retreat or a staff retreat or whoever's there. And so to lean on those people you've already invited to be the experts and to, to share their stories and their experience around whatever project or purpose that you have has, has been helpful in my experience. Yeah, I love that idea of incorporating your team members or your participants into the agenda design and talking with them about what do they see as the goals and what kind of activities do they want to do. And it makes such a difference when everyone feels like they've contributed as opposed to they're showing up because their boss said, we're Mm -hmm. going to spend three days doing this stuff. And you're like, really? I got to go do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what are some of the other things that managers should think about as they are preparing to design or plan the agenda for a retreat like this? Yeah. So I think one of the values that I try to incorporate and that when I go to other conferences or or retreats that are done well is the vulnerability that is shown at the outset and ideally throughout. And so if leaders, managers, as they're creating this, how to how to set a tone of vulnerability, how to set a tone of, of allowing people to be courageous with their questions, with their sharing, setting a safe space, and and I would even say more of a brave space, that it's okay to be challenged and pushed, but to do it in a in a place of compassion and love. I think values of just being again being curious and being humble, stepping into these spaces as leaders, not having all the answers, but knowing that we are going to lean into each other to help find those answers. And then finally being accountable and and taking responsibility for whatever comes out of that retreat. And I think that can be the hardest part, speaking personally, is what to do after a great two or three day gathering. And there's a lot of energy, there's relationships have been strengthened, new ideas, new connections. Where do we go from there? One thought is we've done this practice of assigning accountability buddies. So folks can check in three months later, six months later in how, you know, what have they done since the retreat? What actions have they taken? Did they follow through on any of the intentions that they set? At the beginning of the, of the retreat, I should say that's an, another great way, I think, to set and to model a good gathering is to set intentions individually and collectively at the beginning. And the last thing I would just say around this is just making sure that there's equity of voice. I think setting that as a value at the outset of the gathering is really important to make sure that folks who tend to talk a lot try to hold back and those who are a little quieter get an opportunity to step in. And those voices who are who tend to be marginalized, whether that women or people of color, that they have an opportunity to speak first before others. I, I try to, to incorporate those ideas and values into the, the gatherings and the, the workshops that I do. I'm wondering if you have a story about a recent 
experience of kind of how the workshop or how the retreat kind of created that safe space or kind of there were moments of vulnerability. Is there anything you could share with us that kind of like helps us see what that looks like? Sure, sure. Two pop up. Uh, one, a couple of years ago, we did a gathering, a three-day retreat in the Catskills. And this was obviously pre-pandemic. We were all meeting in person. These were leaders of Jewish organizations running, running leadership programs, running fellowships. And we met at a retreat center. We all sat in a circle, kind of 60 of us at the opening, kind of in the opening stages. And a simple thing just around clothing was, was brought up. We, we asked people to kind of, you know, dress down for the occasion and people showed up myself included in shorts and a t-shirt. And I think just the very nature of the leaders of a, you know, foundation professionals running a, a gathering in shorts and t-shirts set a standard of like, okay, we can be comfortable. This isn't a suit and tie type of conference. We can really be comfortable and, and be more vulnerable. There's, I think, there was a lot more even to that ability to kind of dress comfortably that allowed people to share a little more. We were also very explicit in our opening discussion that we really hope that people will be, that will share and be vulnerable. I think just sharing personal stories, the more that we can model something. So in my opening dialogue there, I think I should, this was the first gathering I had done in this sense, you know, I was nervous. And I think the more that we can just be open and honest with the people we are gathering, the more they are going to take that as a, hopefully as a role model and, and live that. Another example, just more recently, I've been doing these, these board talks, these virtual workshops on board governance. And I say very explicitly at the front, I kind of list out a few of these values. You know, to, it, It's important, I think, just to set values or norms for any meeting, again, whether it's a retreat or a one-hour meeting of what's expected and what's not. And so to talk about what equity of voice means and to explain kind of the, the purpose or intention there, I think has allowed, again, more marginalized voices to feel comfortable speaking up, sharing stories, and being more participatory than they might have otherwise been. Yeah, I love this first story that you shared about the clothing. And it's so true that we take so many signals from the environment and the space. So when you're having your offsite and you're sitting around the sofas in a lounge, it feels super different than sitting around a boardroom table wearing suits and ties. Like yeah. it, re it really does have an impact in the emotional tone and how people feel comfortable sharing more personally, more vulnerably. I mean, I've seen this happen as well. And it's it really is powerful. And as you're planning retreats or offsites or anything, thinking critically about the space mm -hmm. is so important. It, I know uh, for many teams, like you don't get a whole lot of choices. There's budgetary implications, but if you can think about what kind of environment is going to create the atmosphere that I want, you're going to just make your own job once you get there a whole lot easier. Yes. There's a lot of intention. Yeah. Like you said, put, put in the, in the place, you know, making, thinking, do you want something outdoors and nature? I think that also tends to lighten the mood and get people thinking more expansively. We've had retreats where part of actually this gathering in New York, where we took walks and had walking workshops. I think there's something about thinking and talking while you're walking that becomes more generative. You're more creative. You're more expansive. You're, you're freer to share things that maybe you wouldn't have shared sitting in your chair. And I'd say just to then one, one other story of a recent gathering. Now this is all virtual, a 24 hour virtual gathering put together by about 60 
educators and organizers and activists, we made, I'll tell you actually something that worked well and something that didn't work well as a little show of vulnerability. Something that worked well was making sure that, again, it was very participatory that while the idea came from a, a couple and myself and a, and a colleague, the presenters, the workshop facilitators were all people from the group and giving them an opportunity to teach, to co-facilitate these learning sessions or the actual sessions on everything from education to philanthropy to racial justice. Again, the experts were in the room teaching. And I think a place where I actually messed up was at the very beginning of this gathering, introducing folks or explaining kind of why we were there. I should have actually let the fellows introduce themselves. And these were fellows from across a diversity of of race, religion, age, and class. And yet I neglected to do that. And instead it was me and my colleague, two white Jewish men kind of talking for the first 10 minutes. And if I were to wind back the clock, I would have definitely lifted up more voices of color at the very beginning of that gathering. That's such, such good lessons for all of us, right? Like sometimes we think that we need to over facilitate because we're in charge or we're the planner or, you know, we need to start things off on the right foot and really we can very quickly. I mean, I would expect you to say like the first hour was me and my colleague talking. (laughs) You said 10 minutes. So like, you know, but very quickly, like we can actually move out of our, you know, command and control. We're the one in charge here to, uh, you know, open, engaging, everybody's participating space. Yes, yes. And 10 minutes can seem like an hour when you're sitting sitting on a, on a Zoom call sometimes, so. So, so, so true. So let's talk about virtual retreats for a second because, yeah. you know, as much as I hope that we're all gonna be in person together very soon, that, you know, isn't the case. And I also, I, my team for a long time, and even now actually is all remote all the time. So it's just not always possible that we can get together in person somewhere. So are there things that you've seen work well or suggestions that you have if you want to replicate that kind of day offsite, you know, the, the like things that people can do to create similar kinds of experiences or feelings or outcomes? Yeah, sure. So I sit on a couple boards and, and work with folks who who sit on boards themselves. And so I hear one thing that has been helpful as we kind of dredge on in these board meetings, in these multi-hour, multi-day board meetings online, is to set up a time like the night before or the day before of a purely social connection, happy hour, coffee, whatever it is, that is distinct from the actual virtual meeting, board meeting or retreat. So again, just having a space to just purely connect, get to know one another, have a couple, you know, gently facilitated icebreakers, I think works really well. A more nuanced approach, you know, you could take a similar kind of, we're not going to talk about the board business, but we also want to actually build deeper relationships and get more vulnerable. And so there have been some great icebreakers, some great questions. I was on a retreat at the Jewish Funders Network conference most recently, where there are some great questions around what does it mean to to be to feel humble? Who do we look to for humility? When in our lives have we not been as humble as we would have liked to be? And so there's a whole host of questions. You know, you can pick pick what you want to talk about that really invites people into again a more open, vulnerable space that has nothing to do with the business at hand, but will help the business be done more effectively because people trust and are engaged more in one another or with one another. Yeah, I love this separate 
social time, like separating out almost in the same way that you just started by describing like a third of your time needs to, that can be structured and productive. A third of your time can be a little less structured and more organic. And then a third of the time should be completely unstructured. And I feel like this, this is like the great unstructured, like let's get together, let's open a bottle of wine virtually and just have, have time to talk, especially if you're talking about a team who generally knows each other Mm -hmm. and you really just need some time to catch up and it was fun that we were at the same conference, same virtual conference. And one of the activities that we did that I thought was super fun was having everybody hold their phone up to the camera. Mm-hmm. And so you took your turn and you got to put your picture up there and you had, there was a question, a prompt. So you had to find a picture in your phone that related to the prompt. And then you held it up to the camera so everyone could see your picture. Now, I think most teams are a little more tech savvy than, than that group. So there are probably <laughs> other ways that we could share pictures, but it was a super fun way to be like, show a picture and then talk about why you chose that picture. And then we did another activity. Sorry, I'm going to keep going here. We did another activity that I thought was really fun, which was a yes or no question activity. And if the answer was yes for you, you left your camera on. And if the answer was no, you put your thumb over your camera. And that was really fun. I asked my group because I was facilitating, did you get a pet during COVID? And I was expecting like everyone's cameras to be on. Everybody I know got a pet during COVID and it was actually ended up being only me and one other person. And so we had, you know, it was fun to kind of see as the group. And then we all kind of chatted for a few minutes about why people got pets, whose kids still wanted a pet, but they were not giving in. And it just creates a really fun, light way of having a somewhat facilitated, but not overly facilitated conversation. Yes. Love that. Love that. There, I was going to say one, one other creative digital kind of conversation or digital activity at the end of this same conference. They had, it was done by IDEO, I think. And it was a project called Creative Tensions. And you create a little profile. And there's two, this is if you're doing something with like 200 people. So a lot of folks on the screen. And you have a little avatar and they ask questions that have a, and a, you know, an extreme answer either way. Do you like gefilte fish? On the one hand, it's the best food ever. Or on the other hand, it's the worst food ever. And you kind of move your avatar one way or the other. And you can see visually where people stand in the room on any certain topic. So you could do that for very mundane questions like what, like food, but it could also be some very, you know, potentially like sensitive or controversial topics and allow folks to show where they stand in a way that is a little easier to do potentially if you were in a room having a small conversation. I unfortunately didn't get to attend that session, but I love that idea. And I'm imagining you could do it with a simple Google slide where you give each person a little sticky note, they write their name on it, or they put in their little picture and you can move, each person can move their own sticky note across the the spectrum on the slide. Yeah. 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 So you don't even need any fancy technology. Exactly. And, and speaking, speaking of not fancy technology, but still technology on, on a virtual retreat, using things like Google Docs and Jamboards as ways to collect information, to brainstorm together can still be very easily done in some ways, even more effectively done than the actual sticky note or the actual whiteboard that you would have at a hotel room or at, a, at an in-person retreat kind of actually takes away the, the documentation. You're, you're documenting it as you're having that discussion, which doesn't always happen, I think, during an in-person retreat. So there are certain things that actually can be done better or more effectively virtually. All right. One last question on this topic, and then we have to wrap up. I'm so sad. All right. Last question is, what do you think about the role of food and 
gifts or things like that. And I, and I mean this in the way of usually when you go offsite, there's like a nice lunch, hopefully not you know, a crappy box lunch, but like a nice lunch or, or you all go out to dinner afterwards and things like that. And if you're not together in person, Mm -hmm. I've been part of groups where they've sent us all a box that has, you know, a coffee mug or a gift card to Starbucks. So we can kind of get our own drink before the event. What do you think about that? Is that necessary? Does it matter? Do people like it? Do people not like it? Yeah, I, I love it. And I'll give two examples. One I did and one I was a beneficiary of the, a gathering that we did last month. We sent a report, we sent some research that we did that was kind of background knowledge. So it was actual some some reading, but in, in the package was a handwritten note, you know, we're so excited to see you. And it was some tea, some herbal tea bags that they could drink during the convening. And each of the tea was, I forget, knew me or one of the ones that has those really nice kind of inspirational quotes, like kindness is the light of life or your strength is your own belief. So there's a little bit of inspirational words along with, with the gift. And I heard that that was just, I mean, it was small, but it was such a nice, nice thought. And then I was at this conference we were both at, we received a huge box of, uh, you know, some snacks, a cup holder. I'm, I'm, my coffee is now on like a coffee warmer. I think the best gift in that box, though, were these paddles that you got to put up. The paddle could say, you know, you're muted or thumbs up or very cool, but a kind of a kitschy, cute way to be a little bit more interactive instead of the same old trying to yell at the person that they're on mute or press the, the thumbs up button. So long way of saying, I think little care packages are great and they bring joy and levity to whatever program, whatever retreat you're running. Okay. I did actually think of one more question that I want to ask. So I'm going to ask it anyways, even though we're running out of time, which is when we do in-person retreats, right? A lot of teams do things like let's go karaoke together, or let's do a ropes course or, you know, other kinds of things that may or may not be fun for everyone may or may not lead to good memories. What's your take on those kinds of activities that are really kind of outside of the, the norm of sitting together? Yeah. It's such a mixed bag. I would say I don't have a pat go for it or don't go for it. I think you want to take the pulse of your group. I'd even go back to the very first kind of idea at the beginning of this part. Like what's, what's the purpose? What's the goal of this, you know, ropes course or tough mutter or whatever it is that you want to do. They can be incredibly productive in terms of building relationships, getting people out of their comfort zone, pushing people a little bit, And I've also seen folks actually get fairly nervous and withdraw depending on what that activity is. So I think that the the guidance might be just be intentional and ask folks what they want and be very intentional about what you want out of this activity. I'm all for activities, be they yoga or a walk or a happy hour as they get more it sounds like athletic or more sophisticated. You just want to be mindful of who's in your group and what their capacity and interest is in those kinds of activities. That's great. And it's a great note to end on in the sense that whatever it is that you are going to design, step one is talk to your team, right? Figure mm-hmm. out figure out the purpose, as you said, mm-hmm. and then talk to your team about how they can collectively, you can design an agenda that's going to get you to those outcomes. All right. So in our last two minutes, As you know, the show is called The Modern Manager. 
So Seth, can you tell us about a manager that you worked for who was really fantastic and what made this person so great as a boss? I will. I'm going to share two quickly, but they're the same. The executive director that I came in to my last job with, and then the CEO where I left the last job. So Chip Edelsberg was the founding executive director of the Jim Joseph Foundation. And his management style, to me, was so helpful in how specific he was with his feedback. To some, it might have been a little much, but I was so I had never had a manager who just who gave me such direct and some, you know, constructive, but also positive feedback about very specific things I had written or I had said uh, or I had just done. It wasn't just good job. It was good job because of this. So so the takeaway there was be specific, be specific with your feedback. And then Barry Feinstone, who was the CEO when I left, he kind of came in about a year into my job there. Barry and Chip were very different. Barry was more kind of hands off and the trust that he would place in his staff was was remarkable. He was more of the kind of trust and verify kind of manager where giving you, giving me a lot of a long leash specifically with this retreat and the cat skills, you know, would love to hear updates, but was only there to support and give me kind of kudos during and then afterwards. The the warmth that I got from him was like a father. It was a very, very kind and trusting and supportive environment. So even though how different they were, the the very specific feedback and the kind of hands-off I trust you have both influenced my work as a manager. Well, thank you so much for sharing those. And where can people learn more about you and keep up with your work? Yeah. So my website is gatherconsulting.org. We have quarterly conversations that we post. And if you want to email me at seth.gatherconsulting.org, I'm happy to put you on our newsletter and share the upcoming workshops and, uh, and gatherings that we're doing. Thank you so much. As you can tell, I had a lot of fun in this conversation. Me too. Thanks, Mamie. Instead of a guest bonus this week, members get my guide to planning a team retreat. To get this guide, become a member of the Modern Manager community at themodernmanager.com join, or head over to our store where you can purchase the guide, which is at themodernmanager.com shop. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.